Okay, it's recording. Okay, this is just a teaser, okay? This is not what we're focusing on for today's lesson. But I want you to think about, while we're going through the, the lesson, where does this fit? Where does this fit in our, in our church? Where does this fit in the church universal? Where does it fit in the church local? Is this a reason for breaking fellowship? Um, She well, was going to get this whole conversation. Yeah, she was going to explain it to us. She was <laughs> <laughs> throughout the years in the church, throughout church history, there has been um, arguments, discussions, um, things that have literally separated bodies. Um, think about all the councils that there were. Why do you think that these councils existed? Does anybody know about what happened in the Nicene Council? Or you know, any of the other councils that are out there? Any of the councils were to clarify doctrine, clarify beliefs from competing views of whatever it might be. Okay, so why did they have to verify the beliefs then? Because there were different competing beliefs. Because there was something that just wasn't right that was taking over the church that, well, scripturally speaking, we, we can't really hold to this, right? So we have to codify what the church has always believed. We have to say, no, this is what we believe, period, right? <clears throat> so um, these things that ended in the breaking of fellowship... Um, that, that's painful. You know, I mean, you're, you're taking a group of people who love each other because they're all in Christ, and they have their own ideas about the way that the gospel works or the something that's in Scripture that, that says this, but maybe in another part of Scripture it's not so clear, and so people are trying to use those parts of Scripture to justify their beliefs. Well, the question that arises, what is worthy of breaking the fellowship? What deserves actual separation in the church? So the topic or the title for today's message is, what are we willing to fight for? And fight, I think, is a strong word. I think that the title of this message was picked specifically because it's, you know, kind of uh, maybe a little bit inflammatory, right? Maybe a little bit of a hot button type thing. Um, what are we willing to fight for? Well, you know, in, in our context, are we really, really willing to fight? Aren't we all about grace and about understanding that other people might have different ideas, but they still fall under the pale of orthodoxy, that they, they are still brothers and sisters in Christ. So I think the title is, is um, a little antagonistic. But we really do have some things that we're willing to fight for. So, in Scripture, Paul makes clear that there are things that are of first importance. All right. um, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, starting in, uh, well, I guess this is verse 1, or no, this is 3. Um, For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. 
and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, last of all, as one to untimely as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. According to this, what is the of most importance, of the of first importance that Paul is saying? Christ died for our sins. Death, burial, resurrection. Death, burial, resurrection. That, that's right. It covers all three of those things in there. Um, and proof that he was resurrected by appearing to more than 500, right? So this, this particular list of things, I don't, I'm not so sure that it's a complete list. Things of first importance, well, the, the things of first importance, those are the things that we have to fight for. But this is a very short list. This, is, this only has to do with the nature of what Christ did. It doesn't deal with the nature of Christ himself. It doesn't deal with the Trinity. It doesn't deal with um, creation. It doesn't, it doesn't deal with a lot of things. But remember what Paul said, you know, uh, I, I have determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified, right? Well, even that statement alone is not enough because Christ and him crucified is great. But if there's no resurrection, what was the crucifixion for? All right. So Paul definitely makes it clear that there are things of first importance. And he lists one of the biggest. But it's not a complete list. Okay, so then if there is uh, a thing of first importance, are there things of second importance? Things that maybe we're not willing to fight over. You're shaking your head, John. Do you have any ideas of some things that we might not be willing to fight over? Yeah, all kinds of things. And, and, and just one personal observation is there were a lot more things I was ready to fight for as a young man than I am now. I'm, 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 I'm willing to, to still have an opinion, still have a view, but I'm not, I'm not willing to die on all of those hills. There's a few that I will, but, but fewer. Right. So in Romans uh, 14, verses 1 through 12, Paul is using food and religious calendars to, uh, to teach us how to handle the secondary items. Right? Mm -hmm. And so let's read that passage. That's uh, Romans 14, 1 through 12. I'm sorry, but my trifocals are not working for me today, so i got to make this bigger. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may, may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. I could keep on going in that passage because it all pertains to what we're talking about. 
but for uh, for sake of you know getting on with the with the topic here. So we are looking at a second level of items that people have strong opinions on. Um, you know, when, when we're talking about people eating meat versus, only, uh, versus eating vegetables, we're not talking about the standard vegetarian thing that's going on today, and, you know, that people think that eating meat is uh, unkind to animals, whatever, all right? Personally, I'm an omnivore, and I think you can tell that. <laughs> but <laughs> I'll eat anything... And that's not the discussion that they were having here. They were discussing that the meat was meat that was sacrificed to idols, right? Well, we know that idols are nothing. So in our own consciences, we can eat the meat that was sacrificed. Because, hey, I don't care what you did to the meat beforehand. There's no such thing as that God. So I'm going to eat it and be glad and give thanks to the one true God. But there were people who came out of that particular um, environment that were at one point convinced that it was sacrificed to these gods, and I use a little g here, and if they were to go back and start eating that meat again, they would have their consciences pricked. There's, there is actually something that I want to go a little bit further on on that particular topic. Um, I want to start here down in uh, verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But what you eat, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God really is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. <coughs> not for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Here's the key. <coughs> but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. <coughs> For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So, as people who understand that there is nothing to these idols, I can eat that meat. I'm free to do so, but I'm also, because of Christ freeing me from the law of sin, <clears throat> able also to say, but I don't have to eat that if it's going to cause my brother to stumble. I'm free to make a decision to deny things for myself for the sake of others. What did he call it? Walking in love. <clears throat> so, if we've talked about primary things, 
you know, things that we're willing to fight for. Things that, well, Scripture talks about, but, you know, it's not necessarily a primary thing. Uh, it's a secondary importance. Are there things of tertiary importance? John, you're shaking your head again. What might be something that's of tertiary importance? So, for example, some believe that signed gifts have ceased, and others are going to argue that they're continuing. Okay. Great. Great example. What about, should we have electric guitars and drums in our worship service? And that's, that's the thing that I know you're probably thinking, is the further you get from those core beliefs that are the real critical ones, the more items there are mm -hmm. <laughs> in the less important. Absolutely. I mean, we're talking about things of preference. Yes. church, whether it's annoying or, or pleasant to you, is not the issue. It's that right. scripture <coughs> prohibits it, is what they would argue. And where in scripture does well, it prohibit it? Well, that's the conversation I had. Right. <laughs> right. So then it sounds like what we're coming down to is uh, we have to pick an authority that we can rely upon, right? Something that has something to say about the things that we're arguing what are our sources of authority? Last week, when Tyler was talking uh, about what was the title of his uh, yeah. core, core belief, our theological foundation, yeah. he was talking from a particular document. Does anybody know what document he was, he was speaking from? In, uh, in, the, in the points that he provided, he talked about God, he talked about the scriptures, he talked about man. Where did he get these, these things? I mean, he was reading from something. He talked about the London Baptist Confession, but I don't remember him actually reading anything from the London Baptist Confession. But he definitely spoke about it. No, he definitely spoke about it because it's on our website, and it's something that we rely upon to clarify certain things. Okay? But what he was actually talking from was our website. Our statement of faith. It's our statement of faith. But all of those things he, he spoke of were, came verbatim from our statement of faith on the website. Well, is that an authority? In and of itself, no. But okay. what it's based on. Okay. So maybe that's a secondary. We, we were just talking about first, primary, secondary, and tertiary in terms of you know, uh, the arguments that the church might have, well, we also have primary, secondary, and tertiary sources of authority. Well, from everything that Tyler spoke of, and I have no disagreement with anything that he said, it came from a secondary source of authority. So what is our primary source of authority? Scriptures. Paul said it. Um, we, we completely understand that um, there are certain people who have a different set of scriptures. When we say scriptures, what do we mean? 66 books. The 66 books. The closed canon. <clears throat> so, that's our primary source. 
that's that's where we derive all of our understanding about what is right and what is wrong in God's eyes. Um, so the 66 books in and of themselves would be a primary. It is the only primary, yes. So I want to I want to jump back a little bit to um, the tertiary matters. We're kind of jumping back away from the source of authority and back into what are some of these um, discussions that, well, maybe we really shouldn't even be worrying about those things. And Scripture informs us directly on the primary and the secondary, but it only implicitly directs us when when we're talking about the tertiary matters. Um, in 2 Timothy 3, Starting in verse 14, this is Paul writing to Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What does that tell you? What is, what is Paul telling Timothy here? don't have to have any other authority besides scripture. So then why did I read this in regard to tertiary matters? Because if scripture is equipped to make the man of God complete, and when I say the man of God, I'm also talking about the women. If scripture alone is sufficient to make the man of God complete, well, do we have to even argue about the things that are not in Scripture? The answer would be no. There's no arguments necessary. Those are really preferences. Those are things that, you know, you could walk into another church, and if they had what we would consider to be the primaries, you could hold your nose and worship at that church. I'm not saying go and find another church, just to be clear. Okay? So then, if Scripture is our only primary source, then everything else is not primary. So, the thing that Tyler was reading from, our statement of faith, that would be considered a secondary source. What other things might be considered secondary sources? Creeds. Creeds. Do you know of any off the top of your head? Apostles' Creed. <coughs> Apostles' Creed. Nicene. Okay. What do they do? What do they, what do the creeds do for us? How do they help us? Confession, 1689. Same thing. It helps us to understand basically the whole Bible in a concise way. Um, it speaks of the important things of doctrine. And because it's infused and undergirded and thought about deeply by many, many people 
over a long period of time, and it is based upon Scripture, do you think that someone who just read the 1689 could walk away with enough information for the Holy Spirit to use to save them? But in and of itself, it is not the inspired word of God. But scripture being the authority, there are interpretations of the scripture which leads to the necessity of having these conventions and right. creeds to clarify what right. is the interpretation of that scripture. Exactly. So if our secondary sources would be historic creeds and confessions the, specifically the 1689 and our own statement of faith then what might a tertiary source of authority be? Barrett. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't he, have a PhD so you can't does it matter. for anything. It's been said that if you it's been said that if you even think about God you are a theologian. Yeah. I never said you were great at your job, but yeah. How about how about papal decrees? Okay. Well, if we were in that particular camp, then we would have to say that that's primary because they hold scripture and tradition on the same level. sure if you realize this, but the Catholic Church looks at the Pope as, as if he is the vicar of God. I'm sorry, does anybody know what vicar means? Representative? Who is our only representative? Christ himself? Well, if the Pope, in his vicarship, decides that this particular thing is uh, not allowed in, in the Catholic Church, it's not allowed. But then he becomes the primary source of authority. A man, a sinful man. And I don't say this because you know he's particularly sinful, I say this because all men are sinful. But he also has to go with the tradition that's there, right? So if he goes completely away from whatever has kind of been mm -hmm. built up over time, it's not going to really apply. Right. Which I'm not arguing for that approach whatsoever. Right. But along with that, a question I have is in the Catholic Church, you have additional books in the Bible, right? Mm -hmm. That are not in the 66 books that we say, but the Paul says all scripture mm -hmm. is given by the inspiration of God, but then aren't we just playing a little devil advocate that we are actually saying that humans decided which 66 were inspired by God. That's that's wonderful. Um, that could be a class unto itself. Ron will teach it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but let's let's be clear as to what happened with the canon. This was not a bunch of people who got together for the purpose of deciding which books were inspired but they came together to confirm what the church had always believed about the books. That these 66 books don't ever, in any of their points within themselves, disagree with any other point in them. So when Peter says, uh, it's by works that you're saved, and when Paul says it's by faith that you're saved, is that a disagreement? Again, as I said, this could be a very long class unto itself. Well, and just to, to help make this point along with what you're saying, is it wasn't just the agreement piece that was like they had to have a, a connection to the apostles themselves, but there were some where they that was like a criteria that they created them. Fulfills everything else, but we're missing this one. These criteria for this one is out. So they did have some of their own criteria about what would be in, mm -hmm. or arguably there might be some that 
I don't remember how many people were involved in determining the full uh, canon, the closed canon. But there were many people over many years who were, well, they were believers. They had the Holy Spirit. And I believe that God is able to direct his people to choose the right things. If there were another book that should have been in the canon, I am convinced that God would have made it part of the canon. Okay? I understand your argument. And I understand that, that there will be people who will argue that. Is this something that we should break fellowship over? So, um, some other tertiary sources. Does anybody have a MacArthur study Bible? Of course. A lot of us do. And the words on the pages are scripture. What about the words at the bottom of the pages? And the footnotes? It's a man's interpretation of the scripture. Now, we think about MacArthur, and uh, typically we think of him as, you know, fairly sturdy and fairly uh, straight on. There's some things that he gets into the weeds about. We're not going to argue about those. But um, his commentary at the bottom of his book is a tertiary source. Theologians, just you know, listening to a podcast. Um, let's bring uh, someone else that we we probably have listened to a lot. R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul and MacArthur had a discussion on this very thing: Credo Baptist and Pado Baptist. And both of them, from Scripture, tried to um, prove their point. Great podcast to listen to. It really was. It's actually two podcasts. They did MacArthur's first, then they did R.C. Sproul's. And if you listen to both of them, you're like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I'm with it. And then you listen to R.C. Sproul's and he's like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I'm with you. So you're kind of, you know, on the fence there. But still, they are tertiary sources of authority. What if I said, as an elder in this church, that I do not believe that we should hold a grudge against anyone because of what Christ has done for us. Am I right? Am I your authority on that? Some of you are shaking your heads. Yes. Some of you are shaking your heads. No. And you're both right. Okay. Because I'm an elder, you have um, put yourself under my, our authority. We, as the elder board, get to define and bring you the scripture. And it's such a big thing that it almost makes my head explode. I and the rest of the elders will be accountable for how we taught you, how we led you. So yes, I am an authority, only in my capacity as elder. But I am a tertiary authority. You should only trust believe what I say when you measure it up against scripture for yourself. So my personal opinions 
they might hold some weight with you. But they better not hold more weight than Scripture does. And we should be careful as elders, since we we're charged with bringing the truth that the apostles have passed on to us mm -hmm. to teach, to be very, very careful with our authority. Exactly. That we are not venturing into areas of preference and opinion and making it sound like it's the authority of Scripture. Right. But you're also having to interpret Scripture right. yeah, to that, give us guidance. The qualification of elders is that they should be able to teach. The pastor is not supposed to stand up and just read Scripture. Today we're reading 2 Timothy 2. Amen, let's go home. You know, no, we're, they're told, no, you need to dig in and study, teach what Scripture says. So I think now that we have that foundation of the um, the things that are of first importance, the things that are of second importance, things of, that are of third importance, our sources of authority, our primary, secondary, and tertiary sources of authority, now we come to the real weight of this particular class. What time is it? When do we stop? What? So when do we stop? I got 15 minutes to get through the whole week. Okay, great. <laughs> there are also levels of agreement. Our primary levels of agreement should um, inform us as to whether or not we're actually worshiping the same God. So our primary are clear commands and specific details that come from our primary source from Scripture. So those things would include subjects that Scripture makes clear. It's absolutely clear. Stop sinning! It's also absolutely clear that Subjects that are debated and judged by church councils and creeds. Wait a minute. I thought that those were secondary sources. They are. But they are also primary things because of the amount of people who have worked on it, the length of time that they have been um, approved. Um some of the things that these councils have spoken on have basically turned people away from the church because they were considered to be heretics. Mm -hmm. right? Any subjects that were held as orthodox by the church fathers. So if I come up and I say this is the orthodox this is the orthodox stance. I'm not a church father, so you can't really, you know, just take that. Unless I've done my studying, and I know what the church father said. So, a secondary level of agreement would be unclear commands or debated details from Scripture. What might something be that's unclear in Scripture? How to go through a divorce. Well, Scripture does talk about divorce. But it doesn't talk about how to deal with the pain, the anxiety of that happening. So some of the unclear commands or debated details from Scripture would something be maybe a subject that doesn't change the clear teaching of Scriptures either way. Was it five or was it five thousand? You know, if it, it's a simple uh, clerical error when translated, that doesn't change the meaning. That doesn't change the whole story of redemption. 
right? What about issues that we hold for our own conscience sake? To eat or not to eat? To drink or not to drink? That's second. And any subject that does not have a direct bearing on redemption. Tertiary level of agreement, details that have no bearing on the church. Details that might fall under personal opinions. Subjects that are not biblically significant. With all of that, I want to do an exercise. And this exercise, one of the first ones that I've got here, is this a primary, secondary, or tertiary level of agreement? If someone is credo-baptist, can they worship with someone who is paedo-baptist? You say yes. Why? You're saying that baptism isn't required? Yeah. No, you're not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying whether you hold to infant baptism or not doesn't, that's not going to save you. Okay. That's not the gospel. Okay, great. John? Well, we, it, it kind of depends. The assumption is we're all agreeing that salvation is by grace through faith alone. If we, then, if that's the case, then I don't, we don't have anything to argue about. But if we believe, as some do, in, in baptismal regeneration, mm -hmm. which the people who began Peter baptism, they certainly believe that. Mm -hmm. So now, now we've got a, we got you know got multiple issues that you'd have mm -hmm. to wade through there. Yeah, I'm sure. Gonna, similar to that, it's, it's a church we we had visited before. They were doing communion, and as we pointed out, some of the you guys aren't supposed to. Was that a Catholic church that you went to? Yeah. Episcopal? I mean, irrelevant, but no. No, I'm just trying to understand, you know, where, where you were just sort of giving a specific so, example. Close yeah, where, 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 I mean, they were fine to go into worship, but when they started handing out communion, there were some details that I was mm -hmm. a little unaware of. Sure. may have offended people, mm -hmm. but I guess um, it's just maybe something they didn't agree with, so okay. it can get complicated pretty quick. Yeah, yeah so that's a great example. Some are open, everyone's welcome at the table, some are a little more closed. Others are even more closed mm -hmm. to that and have a Catholic. Mm -hmm. Also, so, something like pedo-baptism or credo-baptism, it's never quite as simple as the modes of baptism. It has to do with the, the hermeneutic and has Israel replaced, I mean, has the church replaced Israel? There's a whole system of theology that, mm -hmm. that, that, that kind of brings us to this moment, right? It's not as simple as just the mode of baptism. So, Scripture specifically talks about believers being baptized, mm -hmm. right? Is there anywhere in Scripture at all that talks specifically about infants being baptized? No. scripture reference does it say and there was an infant or an unbeliever or an unbeliever it's not okay. clear though is it what's that it's not clear is it it's, it's not clear and so if it's not clear should we put this in a primary a secondary or a tertiary level of agreement You're right. Because uh, once you connect those two, uh, baptism is generational. 
And see, because when you get baptized, you get saved. Right. right. That's what, you know, so once you do that, it becomes a primary thing. Right. You cannot fellowship with a person that lives by the one code. But MacArthur and the scroll are just this. And yeah, so, you know exactly which one I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, their issue is, their, the reason why they could still fellowship and do everything together, their issue wasn't about baptism and regeneration. That's right. Right. It's, their issue simply was, when should a person get baptized? Right. As an adult or as an infant or, right. you know, so uh, that's that was the issue. But Sproul did not believe in baptism and regeneration. That's right. And so you got to be careful about that. And like, uh, I've seen the black church a lot. My mom, like when I see my mom or some person, you ask them, uh, have you been, uh, have you been saved? They say, oh, I've been baptized. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 They don't realize what they're saying. Right. They're connecting it to salvation. Mm-hmm. Frankly, no baptism is salvation. Right. 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 It is. It is a picture that you have died with Christ and been raised with Christ. Right. So this can be a tertiary thing, but then you have to clarify: Are you saying that a child who has no ability to choose? can be saved by us sprinkling his head with water? If they say yes, then it jumps up to a different level of agreement. Okay? What what about uh, swoon theory? Has anybody ever heard of swoon theory? Mm-hmm. Somebody explain what swoon theory is. Well, Christ didn't die on the cross that he just passed, that basically passed out. So he never actually died, right? He just kind of, all right. Well, then what does that, what what level of agreement does that fall under? Primary. Primary. Why does that fall under primary? The scripture says he died. The scripture says he died. No, because he had to die for us to be saved by what he did. If he didn't die. Then he could be sacrificed for a really long time. That's right. That's right. Then what he said about it being complete, well, it wasn't really complete, was it? This has to do with redemption itself. So it is a primary level of agreement. If we do not have that agreement, let's say that somebody walks in here today and uh, is willing to sit with us and listen to our sermons and come to our Sunday school classes and never raises a question, but he believes that Christ never actually died, that he swooned. Would we say you have to get out of here? We let sinners sit with us all of the time. It is a primary. Okay? And if they don't believe that Christ actually died, then... um, where is their salvation? Well, frankly, it's it's nowhere. If Christ didn't die, then none of our salvation is anywhere. We are most to be pitied above all men because we believe that trusting in this Christ who died and rose again will also raise us again. But if he didn't die, how could he be raised? And if he, if he wasn't raised, then no one was raised. Right? So this is a primary level of agreement. However, it does not mean that we have to single out a person who doesn't believe that. But if they start preaching this stuff, if they start making little groups and saying, hey, Christ never actually died. Did you know that? That's where we come into church discipline. That's where we, we say, okay, listen, um, you're sowing dissension, and it's, it's I think it's time for you to move. We do it in a loving, kind way, of course. We say to that person, (coughs) we do not believe that here. If you do believe that, we don't want you to just leave because we want you to hear and believe the truth of the gospel. But if you can't keep that to yourself, we're going to have to ask you to leave. Okay, what about... uh, 
instruments during worship? <laughs> it's tertiary. that says uh, uh, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. How do we do that without instruments? We've got instruments. Well, They're vocal cords. That's right. That's a personal preference. Yeah. Alright. Uh, let's see. Uh, what about dietary laws? just choose to be vegetarian because they choose to be vegetarian. It's tertiary. See, each one of these can be classified in a different place, but you've got to understand the entire argument that, that's going on there. There's, right? there's, there's a nuance there. It's how it's applied. Yes. So this is... Anytime it crosses the gospel, mm -hmm. or, the, or the deity of Christ, any of those, those primary, it jumps into there and they're connecting those things. So if there's a vegetarian who, for dietary reasons, just personal dietary reasons, they're staying away from meat, but they never say to anybody, uh, you should really stay away from meat. But they always do, so... Well, they always do. <laughs> <laughs> But let's say they didn't. That's, that's tertiary. If they say you can't be saved unless you stop eating meat, now we're talking about a primary issue. So this is where you have Paul who says, I've become all things to all people. And you see in one circumstance, he has his companion circumcised yep. for the sake of the gospel. Yep. And another another circumstance, he refuses to have companion circumcised because it has become in that group an issue of salvation. That's right. So he says, I will not do it. Yep. But he didn't, you know, he was, he was quick to do it another time. Mm -hmm. Okay, what about the hypostatic union? Can somebody tell me what the hypostatic union is? Christ. 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 Well, um, say that, John, what? The son is homoousion with the father of the same substance. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah, or, I mean, I mean, or <laughs> homoousion. Uh, I think that's a different issue. It's not a different issue. Not really. Closely related, but of the same substance. I well, mean, the substance is different than the divinity. I do. I do mean. I'm, I'm over, aren't I? <laughs> yes, you're out, yeah. I'm on. <laughs> Let's let's just let's just uh, simplify this one. This one has to do with the nature of the Savior. Mm -hmm. yeah. Is this a primary, secondary, or tertiary? Primary. 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 Period. What about the five solas? Sola Scriptura. Sola Gratia. Sola Fide. Sola Christus. Could be, but it's probably more in the secondary camp. How does um, Damien, in your mind, how how does it functionally look like if somebody comes in with a primary level of disagreement versus secondary level, from like as elders or as just let's say not in leadership, somebody's walking in the doors. We we find out they hold to something that we secondarily disagree with versus primarily disagree with, how, how functionally do you say we should approach the individual with these topics? 
How do we approach? You threw me a curveball on my left, so I'll throw it. Yeah. <laughs> how how do we um, deal with each other's sin on a daily basis? Do we say, "Get out! You don't belong here." No, of course not. Now, like I said earlier, and I don't, I'm not sure if you were in the room or not. Um, if they are teaching these things, if they're if they're sowing dissension. If they're going to a group of people and saying, hey, Christ never actually died, he just swooned, then it's our responsibility as the elders of the church to go to that person and say, look, you are welcome to be here. You are welcome to hear the gospel. You are welcome to participate with us, but you cannot teach that. If you are incapable of keeping that to yourself, we ask you politely and kindly to leave. If you can, as someone who believes that, which we do not hold to, hold your nose and listen to the rest of our teaching, you are welcome here. Please stay. But if you start sowing dissension among the church, we will ask you to leave for the safety of the church, for the purity of the gospel among the people who we have been charged as elders to protect and to shepherd. Is that the primary example? What would be a secondary example? Like if they're teaching a secondary thing that we don't agree with, what then? Okay. Well, it still falls under the elder's uh, responsibility. Um, we could say, look, as you're teaching this, it is a secondary thing. As you're teaching this, don't teach it as this is what the church believes. Teach it as this is what I've come to believe. But it but remember, while you're teaching this, it's a secondary issue. Don't make it a primary issue while you're teaching. Now, if we have people who we have asked to teach and they start teaching things that are well wrong from at least our perspective in the primary, secondary, and tertiary issues, it's our responsibility as elders to not ask them to teach again. Right? We're never going to push someone out just because they have a belief that's different from us. Unless they start um, being divisive. Unless they bring a snake into the building and you want to do that because I don't do snakes at all. I don't believe Even just a little garter snake? So isn't it, I mean, it's also a function of the elders to sort of vet that sort of stuff before it even happens. Exactly. Right? So it's like, I'm not saying it's not important to discuss this, but at the same time, it's like, here's what we do if it happens. In reality, an elder's function as a shepherd is also to sort of present those things. That's right. We're not just going to let anybody get up and start teaching. And if That's there right. are small groups being formed without sort of, not church approval, that sounds overbearing, but just, you know, those things, that's Which requires, which requires the elders to know the people whom they're asking to teach, right? We've got to know their background. We've got to know, you know, what they believe on, on things. We, we have to know their level of, of familiarity with the scriptures. about uh, um, confessional versus dispensational? Is that a primary, secondary, or tertiary? Well, it has started to kind of become something that is a new thread. And I, 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 I understand what you're saying, but also the church is, as Christians, we're Christians outside. Like, we're Christians in the parking lot, we're Christians next door. So what an elder might do, people in this church, I'm not 
You do know that there are dispensationals in this church. There's Pato Baptists in this There's church. There's Pato Baptists in this church. I, I, I would love to throw a, a, a scenario that, that has been offered to our elders, and I like throw around room in this context. People across the street, the Missionary Baptist Church over there, has a female pastor now. They used to United, be a male pastor. Sorry? United Methodist. United, United Methodist Episcopal. Yeah, it's so before they had a female pastor, we are Byron went over there and opened up the service, and we were beginning to have some interaction. Is there ever a time when we could have a group of their church over to our church, or we over to their church, partner in ministry in some sense, with a with them having a female senior pastor? Partnering. Of you yeah. or anyone else, right? So. If you're supposed to be volunteering or you have kids, go, please go pick up your kids. Yeah.